0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: One on, nobody out. The 2-0 pitch. Here's a swing, a long fly ball
2: in the left field. This is going to leave the park. This is the Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron. That ball's hit deep to left. This one's going to be out of here. Get up, baby. is gonna go oh my he got all of that one now Mike Claiborne and Kevin Wheeler and the countdown to opening day show presented by Amron on the Cardinals radio network
3: kicking off the Cardinals countdown to opening day show presented by Amron here on the Cardinals radio network Mike Claiborne Kevin Wheeler with you here and Clebs first of all good to talk to you man we got a lot to do today Uh, we'll have some hall of fame conversation coming our way we're gonna hear a little bit uh from Hank Aaron in a few minutes here on the show Of course, as we remember, his 87 years on this planet. And also, claims we actually had, believe it or not, movement in the free agent marketplace this week. We may actually be getting somewhere.
4: I I picked
5: myself up off the floor after you mentioned the word movement because I thought (laughs) it was never going to happen. And and, and you know what, Kevin? Maybe it's the start of a a real flurry with regard to free agents. There's a lot of guys that are going to be looking for work, and there are going to be some teams that are going to need some players. So this thing may pick up in a hurry. So as we talk about Yachty and and we know their status. Is this a time where if you're the Cardinals, you pick up the phone and maybe you revisit conversations with Colton Wong? Because yeah. the uh, the teams that would be interested in a second baseman of his ilk at the price, uh, I don't think they're that many.
3: No, you know, we had heard his name uh, attached to the Blue Jays a little bit, but they signed Marcus Simeon. Uh, and gave him eighteen million dollars, and he's going to play second base, according to the reports. Uh, we had heard a little bit about San Francisco. Well, they just signed Tommy Lastella, Uh and and you know, again, I, I'm not saying you can't do both because Lastella can move around a little bit. But I mean, the, you know, I mean, that's not they have Donovan Solano at second base. Remember, he had a pretty good year too. So I'm not sure that they're still in the market for for a second baseman. So th- this might actually Klebes fall back into the Cardinals' laps as I look up and down the list of teams that don't have a second baseman. You got Oakland, and they're you know they're trying to be good, and they lost Semien, and they might have enough for if you're going to go on a short-term deal. They won't go multi-year, I wouldn't think, but you know Oakland could use a second baseman right now, so you've got that possibility. Other than that, it's all bad teams, and then maybe the Cardinals. So who knows? He may fall back into our laps.
5: Yeah, I mean he he may take a money run and go with a bad team. But man, at this stage of your career, uh, why do you take that step? You know, you've got a chance to be on a successful team. So, I, uh, you know, as you can tell, I'm kind of hoping that maybe these two sides <laughs> can come together at some point. But yeah. before they do that, they've got to establish a, a, a definition about what the left side of the lineup is going to look like from a hitting standpoint. And, yeah. and we haven't seen any movement on that either.
3: No, we definitely want to see that because I, I know that, you know, we all love Colton Wong, but um the the offense still needs more and you know cuz they had him last year and it was the offense wasn't yeah. particularly strong so we'll we'll see how that plays um uh, we also got some clarity clues this week on the catching market right JT Realmuto uh fin- finished off the deal with the Phillies so that does a couple things one it makes Molina kind of the best free agent catcher available um and number 2 though it takes out a team that might have thought of him as an everyday player with the Phillies right if the Phillies had lost out on yeah. Realmuto it would have been pretty easy to see them pivoting, going, "Well, we got to keep Harper happy. We got to keep our fans happy. And Yachty's there, and he's not going to be that expensive. Let's bring him in, and he'll play every day because he would play every day in that scenario." As it looks now, I mean, again, I'm looking up and down the list of teams and their starting catchers or their catching combinations, and there just aren't that many jobs open. I mean, unless you want to go to a bad team, which is what we just talked about with Wong. and yeah, I don't, I don't see Yachty wanting to go to the Rockies or the Tigers or some team like that just to play another year?
5: Well, and, you know, here's the other thing. Let's let's throw this into the equation, and the Cardinals are going to have to address this too. As much as Yachty wants to play, his body has not allowed him to play, whether it was an injury or last year it was COVID. You need to have a, a legitimate backup catcher. So how much is that person going to be worth? Is he worth $2 million? Is he worth $3 million? You know, because you, you're going to need a legitimate guy because you think you can win, so you just can't have, you know, anybody behind the plate catching a pretty good staff. So let's just say if the number for Yachty is $12 million, let's add on another $3 million for safety to make sure you, you don't miss much of a beat as far as catching is concerned. So now it's a $15 million position. So there are a lot of things that go into it, and I just don't know if there's any team out there that's willing to make that sort of investment that's not a good team. I mean, the good yeah. teams seem like they're already filled. And, and even though I know the Yankees were an option, I think they still feel they can slip and slide and do some things with, with Gary Sanchez and the other catcher that they had that yeah. seemed like he did a nice job because they're going to have enough offense right. uh, to be able to cover anything the catcher doesn't bring into play.
3: Yeah, I mean the the one thing that could change what we're talking about here is if the Yankees decide, all right, you know what we 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 will take Molina on a short-term deal and we're going to trade Sanchez uh, because keeping the two of them doesn't make sense for either of no, them. No, no, right? because they they don't have a DH available. I mean, Stanton's the DH, and they've got three other out, actually three or four other outfielders too. So there's not a lot of room at the end when it comes to adding a player. Uh, so like if you're adding Molina, you probably need to subtract Gary Sanchez. Uh, and look, I'm sure there'd be takers, but do they really want to give up a catcher that might hit 35 home runs? I mean, because there, there's yeah. only one of those guys out there. He, I mean, he's not as good all around as Real Muto, but he's about the only guy behind the plate right now that's a 30-35 homer guy in a normal full season. So be interesting to see how that plays. And and you'll see, you know, that on top of uh, earlier this week, Yachty uh, having a little fun on Instagram. Basically saying it might be time to think. He, he said it might be time, and then he put the little emoji of the guy looking like he's thinking. you know he's got his, his finger up on his chin and he's kind of thinking. so says it's time to think. I wonder if, if he's just kind of weighing all of what we're talking about and, and is willing to make a decision, because we know from uh, the reporting of Derek Gould and others that the Cardinals have made offers to Molina and Wainwright.
5: Well, you know, when it comes to thinking, you know, I had to make a tough decision yesterday and I've decided that I no longer want to be considered to be on the Hall of Fame ballot. It was a tough decision. I don't know whether you saw my tweet about it yesterday, but uh, Kirk Schilling and I have one thing in common. Neither one of us wants to be on the ballot for next year. <laughs> well,
3: we we're actually we're going to talk about um, the empty ballot this year the fact that nobody's being inducted or is being selected for induction in the 2021 class I guess uh and and my friend Jay Jaffe pointed this out to me yesterday Claves I guess the good news is the guys who didn't get to have their moment in the sun in 2020 because of COVID will now be front and center and they won't be overshadowed by anything else so I guess that's one silver lining to to what I think is a dark cloud but we'll talk about that coming up uh, next hour, in the beginning of the next hour, I uh, want to wrap up here, Clabs with a little tease because, um, you know, we also lost another great uh, here in the last since since our last countdown show. And this time it's not a Cardinals great, but Hank Aaron is one of the greats. And when we had Bob Costas on, what was it, uh, two, three weeks ago, uh, you brought up, uh, you know, the, the Hank Aaron, the greats. And obviously, you know, he made the point that Hank may be the great you know, I don't, there's no, I don't know if there's any such thing as the best player ever, but he's certainly in that conversation if you're going to have it. And such a nice guy. And, and coming up here in a few minutes, we're going to play the conversation you and I had with him about Stan, the man who, who he was good friends with.
5: Yeah. How much fun did we have that day? And I think I that mean, was one of the on. first
3: times you and I had done a show together. in 2011, yeah. Yeah. The great
5: Ben Boyd found Hank Aaron for us, and he didn't do a lot of interviews, but because it was Stan Musial. Yep. He he gave us all the time we needed, and uh, I I don't know about you, but it might be one of the five best visits I've ever had with one of the greats.
3: Uh, no cut, no question about it. In fact, let's get to that coming up next. Uh, this is this is from February of 2011. Coming up next, uh, of course, it's it's the day that Stan Musial was receiving the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And we had a chance to talk to Hank Aaron, Klaibs and I did. And actually, that was for this show, which was previously called yep. the Hot Stove Show. <laughs> so now it's <laughs> the countdown. So we're going to get to that interview with Hank Aaron coming up next here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network.
2: This is the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on OX.
3: We continue on with the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron here on the Cardinals Radio Network. Mike Claiborne and Kevin Wheeler with you here. And, you know, it's been it's been a rough year. I mean, I feel like, you know, every couple of weeks or so, we are you know, flashing back to old stories or telling stories ourselves about some Hall of Fame baseball player that has passed away. It's been bad. I mean, obviously, we went through a lot here uh, with Lou Brock and Bob Gibson passing away, and there have been so many others And most recently, it was Hank Aaron. And, you know, we have this great opportunity. We don't get the the excuse to use these things very often. But uh, as a means of remembering Hank Aaron, we're going to flash back to 2011. This is February 2011. Uh, Klaibs and I had a chance to catch up with Hank Aaron to talk about Stan Musial. And Stan, of course, uh, was on that day getting the Presidential Medal of Freedom.
6: Well, let me just tell you a little story. I, I know we might be getting ahead of ourselves right now. you know when my first of course, my first year uh, knowing, uh, playing against Stan music, of course, was in 1954, but Stan and I went to Vietnam together. You know really? I went to Vietnam together, and Stan was, was part of that entourage. He was, it was me, he and Joe Tur and, a, and one or two other ball players, and, and Stan and I were roommates. So every time I see Stan, in fact, I was watching him when he received his Medal of Honor from the President. Uh, I, was, uh, I was delighted. I was excited. Uh, you know, Stan and I are very good friends. He, When I got my 3,000 base hit in Cincinnati, he was the one that flew all the way from St. Louis to be with me in Cincinnati. Hmm. So my acquaintance with Stan Musial goes back quite a ways. That's a fantastic thing. You know, you,
3: you've been honored many times yourself, Hank. Uh, obviously a baseball Hall of Famer and many, many other honors have been passed your way as well. Can you even imagine uh, you know, what that must have been like today for Stan to be in that position and receiving the Presidential Medal of Freedom? I mean, these are amazing
6: uh, uh, he, things. He, he must have been excited knowing Stan. You know, I mean, he, he, he doesn't um, show it in his facial expression, but Mm -hmm. knowing Stan, I knew he was quite excited, and I was was excited for him, you know, really. I think that uh, it couldn't have happened to a better person, really, Uh, and I said it in all honesty because, as I mentioned before, Stan and I were very good friends. I got to know him pretty well, and, uh, uh, you know, I I often tell this, this is a true story. This is a true story. I remember my first All-Star game in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I remember we going into extra innings and Stan Musial came over and he's talking to everybody. He said, well, they don't pay us to play extra innings and he went up and hit a home run. (laughs) And that is a true story. That is a true story. I know you hear about the Babe Ruth pointing, Uh but that is a true story. I've said that many times and often and Stan went up and hit a home run. Uh, I never forget that as a youngster, Playing in my first All Star game, I remember that so vividly, and and from that day on, I just said, mm. <laughs> this guy got to be something special.
5: <laughs> you want to keep your eye on him from that point on, I would imagine.
6: Yes, yes, yes. <laughs>
5: We're visiting with the Hall of Famer Henry Aaron, and and Mr. Aaron, uh, Bob Costas made a great point about Stan uh, and his involvement. He was one of the one of the players who embraced black players at a time when that was not necessarily on everybody's agenda. And he was a guy who had no problem dealing with it, and I guess it had to create a little bit more comfort for players like yourself and other players who were making their way into the majors.
6: Well, you know, it did. And You know, and, and and I never I never felt threatened when I said threatened. I never felt like Stan was going to say anything out of the way when we were around him. You know, as I've mentioned before, uh, I had the privilege of playing, uh, staying with him in little bunkers in in Vietnam. You know, when we went to, to visit our troops over there many many years ago. Mm-hmm. And I never felt threatened by Stan Mew. He always made me feel comfortable. He always felt like, you know, no matter what I achieved in baseball, it wasn't like, you know, uh, he was better than I was, you know. So it was always uh, it was a great thrill, you know, when you have somebody like that, and you uh especially as great as he were. You know, I mean, Stan was he, – he was Stan Mew. He was Stan the man, and he was a man, you know. <laughs> You
3: guys had some of the greatest nicknames too, by the way, Hammer and Hank and Stan the Man, and I mean that—that's that, one of the things that you know when, when you when you look at the history of the game and not only the performances that you guys put together, but there was that that character. You know, this was it was a it was a show in addition to a game, and you know, Stan brought that to the table. He bring out the harmonica and stuff, and I know that you guys must have really had a good time doing that. Oh,
6: stuff. we had we had a great time. I mean, um, you know. It, as great a ball player as he was on the field, he was even a greater person, you know, really. I mean, he was a tremendous ball player, uh, won many, 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 many batting championships, but he was even greater off the field, you know. I mean, he was someone that uh, I've always admired and respected and uh, always enjoyed being around. You know, I feel very, as I said before, you know, I keep repeating myself, but I feel very comfortable around Stan Mutual.
3: One of the all time greats right there, that is Hank Aaron. Uh, again, from the the Countdown to Opening Day show nine years ago. uh, Actually, no, ten years ago. Wow, ten years ago here in a couple of weeks. And, uh, again, sad to lose Hank Aaron. All of our best to his family, his friends, his former teammates as well. Now, if you're gearing up for the 2021 season, you can do that with a subscription to Cardinals Magazine, your premier source for Cardinals coverage in season and out. You can sign up at cardinals.com slash magazine all right coming up next we're going to go back to the winter warm-up had all these great virtual events and we hadn't we didn't have time last week to get to most of them one of the one of the most entertaining ones was the outfield it was called cardinals in the outfield john rooney moderated uh willie mcgee and jeff albert were a part of it along with the cardinals group of current outfielders we'll give you a little bit of that coming up next here on the cardinals countdown to opening day show presented by amron on the cardinals radio network
2: this is the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day Show, presented by Amron on OX.
3: It's Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day Show, presented by Amron here on the Cardinals Radio Network. Mike Claiborne and Kevin Wheeler with you here. And now flashing back, and uh, now it's, it's been uh, almost two weeks, about a week and a half since the virtual winter warm-up. And it was a massive success. Uh, all of the virtual experiences wound up selling out. I know Cardinals fans had a blast with all of them, and we still want to bring you a couple of those that we didn't have time for here on the show last week. And up next, it is Cardinals in the outfield. John Rooney, the moderator. And, of course, this features all of the Cardinals' current outfield group.
1: Let's start out with Dexter Fowler. As Dex, last year, before you had to put the the pause button on your season, I thought you were having about as good a season as uh, you could put together at least a great start. Your routes were wonderful in the outfield. You looked comfortable at the plate. How would you sum that up?
4: Um, I mean, it's my third for fourth year in the in the um, in the in right field. So I, I finally started feeling comfortable out there. Um, at the plate, uh, made some adjustments. Uh, just wanted to feel comfortable in the box, and uh, made a huge difference.
1: Well, it looked like you felt great when you got the season started last year, and the way you were closing in on on balls toward the line, and your routes, and cutting off uh, an extra base by getting to the gap. But it looked like you felt really comfortable.
4: Yeah, yeah. It's all. I mean, it's it's like I said, it's just a different vantage point. But you know, being out there and 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 you know, working with Willie, and and you know, we put some put a lot of work in, and and it started to pay off.
1: Well, let's talk to a couple of the younger players, beginning with Lane Thomas here. Lane, you prepare yourself to play all of the outfield positions where Dexter was saying he's getting comfortable playing right field. And after being a center fielder in his career, uh, how do you get ready for playing left, center, or right?
7: You know, getting the game repetitions and BP and um, just moving around a lot, you know, and kind of having an idea of what, you know, the game has, you know, which way the game's going. So I kind of can mentally prepare what position I'm going to play.
1: And with you, Dylan, uh, you play left, center, or right field. And uh, how about your preparation and how you go about things?
8: Yeah, for me personally, I enjoy uh, talking to the other guys, seeing, you know, what they see from each spot, just kind of the different tips they give. And then, uh, you know, I try to apply them to my game and feel as comfortable as I can in each spot. And just to repeat what Willie and Lane have said about taking uh, live, live balls at each position. You know, I feel like that's the fastest way to get me comfortable.
1: Well, Harrison Bader playing center field, uh, it's, uh, I'd say, the toughest read of a ball is the line drive hit directly to you. But uh, you, you seem to take them as they come. And uh, talk about your job in center and how you go about things.
0: Yeah, I mean, everybody touched on it really well, especially what Willie said, just keeping it simple. Um, you know, you could really be as good of an outfielder as you want to be based upon how, how much you prepare for it and how much repetition you take before the game. And, just getting into a good habit of, uh, you know, trying to take balls every day off the bat when guys are taking, you know, live batting practice is really really all there is to it. Um, it was tough last year. We had a lot of different restrictions and guidelines that we had to follow, so it made it difficult. But, you know, I think as a group, we, we knew we were handling. We knew what was in front of us. I think we did a really good job of uh, of defending balls out there. How can you keep it simple, Harrison, where you have all of that information
1: Right there at your fingertips, and uh, you go over all the other hitters. You go over everybody
0: involved and trying to keep it simple. How do you do it? Yeah, the, the easiest way, honestly, is just to uh, catch the ball, and after you catch the ball, hit the hit the first guy out there. Uh, if there's a ball in the gap, you know, the first thing is, you know, breaking down to the ball, picking it up. Then the next step is is looking up to, to see your first cutoff man and just, just keeping it simple like that, so – um, it really is as simple as catch the ball and, and throw the ball and just our job is to get the ball in as quick as possible. So um, and when I really think of it that that most simply, <laughs> so dramatic. <laughs> um, when I when I keep it that simple, it just, uh, it, it makes, it, it slows the game down and it just makes our job really easy. Well, I could see where it's so easy for the game to speed up. And uh, Tyler O'Neill, a
1: 25-year-old uh, outfielder, congratulations on your first gold glove. And what was that thrill like when you got that call? Thank you, John.
9: Uh, it was great. Um, yeah, I figured it out a week or two before before they announced it. Uh, I just got a call from my agent there telling me that I won it, so that was a great feeling. Um, but, you know, we me uh, – well, Willie, Willie really got me into into working on the fundamentals last year in spring. Like, we were always doing that 18-19. Uh, kind of took it to a new level in 2020. Um and, uh, you know, we just got after it early and kept that routine and, uh, and ended up paying off for us in the end.
1: Well, and doing all that work uh, where you had to do so many things on your own and that kind of preparation last year, uh, I know there were a lot of things done by text with the coaches and, and the communication and then having to put that uh, into a game. Did that make it simpler or was that tougher?
9: Well, I like what Harry mentioned. It was very tough for us outfielders to get our work in uh, last year. Uh, usually we get our best reads off the bat. That's really get what gets our jumps going in the field there. So um, we didn't hit a lot of BP this year just because we had a million doubleheaders, and that was tough. So we had to do a lot of fun me- fundamental work at um, in early work, and that's what we did. We hammered it
1: out. Well, Justin Williams, I mentioned, came to the Cardinals part of the Tommy Pham trade, uh, and he was drafted by the Arizona Diamondbacks. And Justin, I remember uh, doing a, a session with you in spring training. We we're out there in the right field pavilion after one of the games and you were one of the happiest people in the world coming over from Tampa Bay to the Cardinals and joining the organization. Uh, last year, you got up to the big leagues with the Cardinals and you have played in four games in the big leagues and looking for a whole lot more in your future. What was it like down in Springfield in the alternate training site? And what were you able to accomplish there?
10: It was fun. Um, It was more of, like, um, individual focus because of the spacing due to COVID. Um, You know, we did the most we could, honestly. Um, I felt like um, it helped me uh, get ready for whatever was ahead.
1: And, Dylan, last year when you went back down to Springfield and then came back to the big league level, something clicked in. What was it as you had quite a finish?
8: Uh, yeah, for me, it was just, uh, you know, really trusting myself and, uh, you know, knowing, knowing uh, just knowing I had the confidence from all the guys in the clubhouse and that they were behind me, uh, you know, just find a ways to slow the game down and, you know, really help the team any way possible.
1: You make a catch, Dex, of a fly ball many times, chest high. How did that develop?
4: Believe it or not, I used to catch. So, when I moved to the outfield, my dad used to tell me he'd be like, catch the ball with two hands and always look the ball in your glove. So, I always – that's just how I've learned, like this. Two hands, look the ball away in your glove. When I have it up here, it's like you lose it for a second. Did you like catching? I loved catching. I, I think catchers catching. tell
1: me they're the only guy's facing in the right direction.
4: <laughs> I love catching. It was fun. It was fun. But, I, like I said, I – I used to talk to hitters a lot, and you know, just mess with them all the time.
1: Harrison, uh, you make so many diving catches in a split second to make up your mind. Do you play it on the bounce? Do you leave your feet more
0: times than not? You're right. Uh, what goes into all of that? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it just uh, just just want the ball at all times. Uh, um, it, it really is that split second decision, but it really just just it just comes from practice. Um, just understanding what balls I can, you know, I can catch on the bounce which ones I might have to that last second, put the brakes on, or, you know, it's it, it just a, a feeling, a, a certain trust that I just get. And, and it's a confidence just, again, from just getting those repetitions in. Um, I try to position myself as best I can in the outfield. like in practice to, to make it difficult. You know, if the sun's out, you go out there with no sunglasses, force yourself to create angles. So you can just see the ball. I mean, it really just comes down to just being comfortable out there, you know? And, and I know too, that like, if I do make a, uh, a diving, a, a diving attempt and if I, you know, if I don't come down with it, just the way we are, you know, wired as a team, you know, I know I have my back up there. So, you know, if I'm diving into, into, you know, the right center field gap, you know, I know Dex is there and we also communicate before pretty much every pitch, you know, Dex will tell me like, you know, I got behind you, you got everything in and then I'll turn to O'Neill or whoever's in left or whatever the situation might be. Um, hey you know I got back here you get everything in front so there's just a lot of communication um, a lot of repetition a lot of trust among all of us that that allow all of us to kind of go out there and just uh, play really hard.
1: Lane how are you prepared for this season now as you go forward what have you been doing to get ready to go to Jupiter?
7: Um, just this this everybody talks about just getting the reps in of, of the game stuff and like Harry saying, just kind of putting yourself in some uncomfortable positions. Like for me, you know, I, I played a lot of center field in the minor leagues and just getting comfortable in left and right because, you know, that's, that's been been more my role the last couple of years is coming in and, you know, whether it's defense or you're coming in late if we have the lead kind of thing. So I think it's just, you know, coming in and, and getting some experience with how things are now with, with, with the restrictions. And, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff they touched on I think is important.
1: Who are some of the people you looked up to? As uh, you came into baseball, or as uh, as a kid when you were following baseball and wanted to make this dream come true of becoming a major leaguer.
7: Um, so I'm from Knoxville. Uh, Todd Helton played at Tennessee, so I'd, I'd been around him a little bit and talked to Dex a lot about him too, and just kind of you know had been around him a little bit growing up because I was I, one of my good friends' uh, dad was a coach at Tennessee, so I was around a lot of baseball people, you know, in, in college, and so just a lot of people I was around. All right, that's part one of Cardinals in the outfield. We're going to get to part
3: two coming up in just a couple of minutes. First, I want to remind you, though, that it's chilly outside. And yeah, you know, in the St. Louis area, it snowed today. But we're all still dreaming in the summer months when we can enjoy time together outside. And Cardinals Special Events offers all sorts of unique options for celebrating outdoors in Bush Stadium. From cocktails on the warning track to brunch in the bullpen, your group will be making memories that will last a lifetime. Just visit cardinals.com slash events To find out more. All right, stick around. Coming up next, part two of Cardinals in the Outfield here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. This
2: is the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron on KMOX.
3: Mike Claiborne and Kevin Wheeler with you here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network, and we're getting back to the winter warm-up and back to the Cardinals in the outfield group. Here's part two from just about a week and a half ago.
1: Next, who were some of the people
3: who influenced you?
4: Uh, junior, for sure. Griffey was my guy growing up. You know, just playing center field and the way he went and got the ball and how much fun he was having when he played the game. Uh, made it look easy. Uh, that's what I modeled my game after. And uh, obviously, um, Barry, watching I, I, Barry Bonds is my mentor. So, you know, just being able to, to go out with him and, and do some outfield and hitting stuff with him was uh, was great. It was great to see.
1: Justin, the same question for you. Some of your influences as uh, you came through your amateur career and turned
10: pro. Andrew Jones. I uh, thought he was really good defensively. Huge Red Sox guy. Um, Nomar garcia Power was another one of my favorites. Not really an outfielder, but just liked the way he played the game.
1: And I think that's a big part of it: playing the game and uh, playing it the right way. Uh, Dylan, I, I think Mike Schill has a, a great saying: uh, "When you make the big leagues, it's a big thing, but don't make it too big." How were you able to accomplish that last year? And uh, as you went through the alternate training site, and then came back to the big leagues and had quite a finish.
8: For me, it uh, it really just came down to playing the game. You know, uh, you get there and you think, uh, you know, you need to do more and in reality you know you just need to be yourself and you know trust uh trust what got you there but also you know be able to adjust and listen to the others around you so for me it was just finding that blend and uh you know really starting to pick the guys in the clubhouse's brains and you know just be all ears and listen in and you know just figure out what applies to me and what helps me and you know get to playing
1: you weren't afraid to ask questions were you
8: no you know that's something i take a lot of pride in just uh you know, finding a way to get better each and every day. So, you know, whether it's asking questions or, you know, just be, being able to be there and watch, you know, uh, that was something I found really beneficial. I've always
1: found it interesting in, in covering baseball over the years, uh, the differences from organization to organization. And uh, Tyler, when you came from uh, Seattle Mariners to the Cardinals, uh, what differences did you notice? And, uh, and what was it like in making the adjustment to your new ball club?
9: Well, uh, it's, definitely, it's definitely an adjustment. I mean, being the new guy again, having to basically make friends, reacquaint yourself, uh, get to know your peers. Uh, you're joining a whole new social group and work group at the same time, so it's life-changing, and uh, it was a big deal. Obviously, the location was the biggest difference for me, the weather, climate, everything like that, but... Um, you know it's great that's the way the careers go it's the way the business path leads and um, not can't couldn't be more grateful for it you know I was able to debut here uh, has some success in the league and I just want to continue that trend.
1: Justin the same question for you what was the adjustment like coming from Tampa Bay
10: to the Cardinals? Uh, pretty much uh, same thing as O'Neill, just being the new guy um, being uncomfortable um, just trying to get everyone's trust and respect, you know, um, that's pretty, that was the uh, biggest hump for me, honestly.
1: Dex has had to make some adjustments too over the years, uh, that adjustment from the Cubs to the Cardinals more recently.
4: Yeah. Some people are still adjusting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: what was that uh like I, you know, I hear the banter back and forth all the time, you know, the Cubs fans and the Cardinals fans, but, um, you know, it's, a, it's, um, I played here for a while now and, um, you know, the adjustment, it was definitely adjustment period going from the blue to the red. And uh, like I said, the fans, some of the fans are still adjusting, but it's fun, man. It's, it's, it's still a good rivalry. And, you know, they say I came from the bad guys to the good guys, but, uh, <laughs> but it, it's, um, it, it's been, it's been good. It's been good. It's, it's been a long process, but you know, I've learned some things and it's been fun.
1: You've been on both sides of that rivalry. What's it like standing on the field at Wrigley Field when you get the fans uh, going at it from both sides? And, and we have a lot of blue and a lot of red in the seats both places.
4: It is. It is. Um, I missed it, um, obviously, um, this year, you know, going and they're not being fans, you know, at home or away. Um, that rivalry is, it, is definitely, um, you know, it's it's going to bring fuel to the fire when there are fans back in. But it's it the, the Cubs fans, they still, still show me love Um you know they're still gracious, and um, it's 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 something I'll, I'll never forget that that time I was there.
1: Yeah, I've noticed that you've had some back and forth with the fans out in the bleachers, and uh, <laughs> and I know you've had a little fun with that too.
4: I have, I have. It, it, it's it <laughs> definitely it's definitely fun to mess with them. Uh, they mess with me all the time, so you know it, to, to 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 be able to get back and, and 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 be able to mess with them
1: is is good too. Harrison, where's uh, one of your favorite places to play outside of uh, Bush
0: Stadium? uh definitely Wrigley um you know we're talking about the the rivalry here I I think what Dex said was right that healthy rivalry they uh they do their homework on you too so obviously we're in the outfield and those those bleachers out there kind of bearing down right on us and we're pretty close to the fans and they do their Wikipedia searches and they're, they're still bringing up stuff about me from college and (laughs) <laughs> whatever you find on Instagram. So you have to respect, you know, fans willing to kind of put it out there a little bit and, and bring something to the stadium to kind of trash talk a little bit. It's all, it's all in fun, man. And I, uh, I really do love the energy there. There's nothing like it. I keep replaying back in, uh, in 2019, when we went in there, we had that four game series. I was just, uh, that's the type of stuff you, you really put the uniform on and you kind of dream about. So I think Wrigley's a lot of fun to play at. Dexter Mike Shannon has said
1: many times when he played the outfield at Wrigley, uh, playing in right field, he had to really pay attention because of the the fans, the way they sit low behind home plate, and some of that has changed with some of the renovations. But do you you find that was the case at, at Wrigley Field where you have to really zero in?
4: Yeah, for sure, um, especially all the day games is bright. Um, like you said, the, the you see the white shirts, and it's it's definitely lower the. So your vantage point is a little different. And then, you know, when the sun starts going down, it peeks right through the – there's like a, a gap right there and it peaks right through. So it's kind of like – like I, sometimes you I look at Harrison, I'll be like, hey, man, I can't see anything. <laughs> or I used to tell Colton and Goldie, hey, man, if you can get it, go ahead and get it because I can't see anything over here. I'd be holding my glove like this.
1: Tyler, where is uh, your favorite place to play outside of Bush Stadium? Yeah, I gotta agree with the
9: boys on that one. Wrigley's a great spot. Uh, just for me, I debuted there too, so it's the first big league park that I ever played in. Um, you know, and a couple of different places on the west coast are nice too, but yeah, I gotta say, gotta say, Bush and Wrigley are my two. So we're there a lot.
1: I know Dex likes it right field in Cincinnati, right and right center.
4: Yeah, Cincinnati is not my favorite,
1: but um... but you could you hit well there, Dex. That's the thing. Uh, do. I? I I I mean you have. You have had some big hits there.
4: I, I you know what I appreciate that. It, I I take them as they come. Maybe they're just uh maybe just pitching a little different there.
1: <laughs> but they look good when they sail over the wall or find the gap. That's for That's sure. Right. And uh, this is uh we'll give this one to Harrison uh, from Jennifer a routine for an outfielder during batting
0: practice. Batting practice essentially just go out there um and just position yourself for routes. Um, you know you don't want to go you don't want to do too much but you definitely want to get your legs moving get your angles right Um, if the sun is out there I I don't like to use sunglasses just again to kind of recreate a more difficult situation forces you to uh, create a different backdrop for the ball coming down so you have to really work to just get around the baseball and and again make it as game as possible you know if you're if it's a routine fly ball I just try to get behind it the best I can keep my body and my hips behind it and, and, and and square them off towards towards whatever base I'm, I'm planning on making a throw to. And uh, yeah, just, just continue to, uh, you know, reinforce the fundamentals. I catch with two hands. I, you know, if I'm coming to a ground ball, I try to catch it with, with whatever foot I feel comfortable with. And um, again, just, just whatever you gotta do to, to get your body going to, to be ready to make a play, you know, when, when the game starts is, is the main focus once, uh, once batting practice begins.
3: Man, what a great group that was and what a great conversation uh, again, that's the Cardinals uh, virtual experience. The Cardinals in the outfield with John Rooney as the moderator, of course, featuring all of the Cardinals' current outfielders. Next hour, we're going to hear the Good as Gold uh, experience. That's, I mean, how how good is this? Ozzy, Paul Goldschmidt, Tyler O'Neill, Jim Edmonds as the moderator. There's a lot of glo- gold gloves in that conversation. That's coming up next hour. I want to remind you though that uh, you can do some things for the kids around town uh, that can really kind of set things up for the baseball season and i and i'm talking specifically uh about the cardinals kids club presented by rawlings it's an exclusive fan club for kids 13 and under and membership includes access to exclusive virtual events uh includes items like a fleece blanket and a wall sign all of it for just 33 dollars you can join at cardinals.com kids club all right coming up next we're gonna give away a 2021 cardinals calendar stay tuned it's the cardinals countdown to opening day show presented by amron on the cardinals radio network
1: on, nobody out. the two opens. Here you're swing a long fly ball in the left field. This is gonna lead the park.
2: This is the countdown to opening day show, presented by Amron. That ball's hit deep to left. This one's gonna be out of here. Get up, man! Get up, get up, get up. Oh yeah, this one is gonna go! Oh my, he got all of that one. Now, Mike Clayborn and Kevin Weaver and the Countdown to Opening Day Show. Presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network.
3: All right, hour number two here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Emron on the Cardinals Radio Network. Mike Claiborne, Kevin Wheeler with you here. And, Klaibs, uh, you know, uh, this is a week that, you know, baseball fans, a lot. I know I know, I have my entire life. It's kind of a week that you look forward to, right? You get to see who's been selected for induction into the Hall of Fame. And it's to me, it's it's a bummer. I don't know how you feel about it, but I don't like these years when we don't have anybody selected for induction, um, so it's kind of a bummer in that regard. And, and I, I understand why. I mean, you've got three controversial figures kind of at the top end of the voting class, right? I mean, that's, that's part of why those guys aren't making the big step up at, You know, with, with Bonds, Clemens, and Schilling. Uh, but we did at least get some positive news this year regarding Scott Rowland. He made a big jump. He's over 50% now. And based on everybody I've talked to about this, Claves, it sounds like Roland's going to be in there sooner rather than later.
5: Yeah, you know what? I think that might be the most unanimous thing we've heard all week. You know, there are three,
3: <laughs> there are three things in baseball
5: that have some life uh, before the event, during the event, and after the event. Yeah. Uh, in, in the spring or in the winter, it's the Hall of Fame. You know, a lot of conversation leading up to it and then including, and then about a week after, everybody's got a comment Uh, the the lack of minority players or African-American players in baseball. That's always an opening week discussion. And then you have the all-star break on who didn't make the team and why they should do this and that in order to make it right. So those are the three conversations. So this one uh, always seems like it's got more to it because this year, Aside from no one getting in, the fact that you had people who elected not to vote, and, and I, I don't know any of the pe- people who did it, but it, maybe it was a protest in the fact that um, they weren't happy with Bonds, Clemens, and, and whomever, and Shilling. But I, I don't understand. It's a privilege to vote, and I don't yep. care what you vo- whether you're voting for dog catcher or voting for a Hall of Fame. It's a privilege. It's yep. an honor, and you should take it in that manner. And I'm not sure if it's designed for you to have a protest of whatever your feelings are for whatever, whatever whether you don't like German Shepherds or you don't like a certain <laughs> right-handed pitcher. I don't know. But I, I think there's a better way to do it. Uh, just don't vote for them if you don't like them. But I, I think the people who do that, I think have abused the privilege. And I've always felt there were too many voters anyway, because I don't think enough. Uh, a lot of these voters actually see enough or have enough information to give a qualified vote. Now that's just my opinion, but I thought the way it was handled this year was unfortunate, but I thought it's also sent a message that maybe we have put in so many other guys that we want to pump. They want to pump the brakes a little bit, but that doesn't mean that the guys that are out there, they're eligible because I, I always look at this, Kevin. If you were as good as there was in your era, then you automatically are are involved in consideration. For sure. And if you are really, really good, then, you know, there's probably a good chance you should be in. And I thought there were some guys who are really, really good. And the only argument that I've always had is what makes Andrew Jones or Scott Rowland better this year than last year? When they didn't play they haven't played in ten years or yeah, eight years well, or five years.
3: Yeah. The only difference there is that like we cleared some names off here the last few years, right? I mean we've got we had a lot of guys, we had a crowded ballot there for a few years. Mm-hmm. And now that it's a little less crowded, there's room for some of those guys. And and by the way, Jones, Todd Helton, uh, obviously Roland and a few others gained ground. Billy Wagner gained a lot of ground this year. They actually gained some of them 20, 30 points. Uh, because there were more openings on the ballot so i think that was a, that's a good thing and i'm i'm 100% with you on the guys turning in a blank ballot look if you don't want to turn in a ballot if you don't first of all if you're going to do it as a protest then just protest by removing yourself from the process just stop turning in a ballot just don't don't do it one year and turn in blank just to and they do it anonymously too which is kind of weird because if you're going to make a statement wouldn't you want people to know your statement yeah right i it's mean so- <laughs>
5: <laughs> and you know what? And I'll give you a good example. If if Kevin Wheeler doesn't turn in or doesn't vote, then guess what? I'm gonna have Kevin Wheeler on my show so Explain he can it. tell me why he didn't do it, and I might say, "Huh." And other people can understand why you did it. Maybe they don't agree with it, but there's yeah. a better understanding, and and we're communicating. But that you know, for guys to be anonymous. Yeah, you know, I think that's kind of cowardly in its own right. Uh, yeah, I guess they're f- they're in fear of losing their vote, and well, you know maybe they should lose it anyway.
3: I know this. There are a lot of guys in the BBWAA that tried to make the the ballots all public, um, uh, you know, and and it's the younger guys. You know, our our buddy Derek Gould and guys like uh and guys like uh, I'm trying to think of who else was involved. Buster doesn't vote anymore, but he's obviously very involved in the Baseball Writers Association of America, and basically the Hall of Fame wouldn't wouldn't force it. They didn't want to make the few that are uncomfortable too uncomfortable, which, I, I I mean, too bad. If you Again, if you don't want to put yourself out there, then, then don't. Just give up your ballot. Don't you don't do have it. to yeah. go there. And here's the other thing. If you look at this group and you can't see one Hall of Famer, you are in the wrong business. You are absolutely 100% in the wrong business. Now, if yeah. you draw the line on PED users, that's okay. I don't personally, Klaibs, because there are already PED users in the Hall of Fame. I mean, that, that is absolute fact. Uh, and, and I'm not going to name names. Uh, you could look them up, by the way. You can look up the names that have been reported. Uh, hell, a couple years ago, Claves, Frank Thomas said flat out, we know that a couple of guys going in this year, and it was the year that, that Tim <laughs> yeah. Raines, Jeff Bagwell, and uh, who, was, who was the other one? Uh, oh, Pudge Rodriguez. I mean, Frank Thomas flat out said, Hey, man, it we're putting in guys that know what they did.
5: Well it. Yeah, he, exactly. he goes,
3: we, they know what they did. And, you know, so we got Hall of Famers that believe that PED users are already in the Hall of Fame. So if we got that already, how do you keep out Bonds and Clemens?
1: Well,
5: see, I, I think next year, and Bob Costas said it best yesterday. He said, we're going to be open to a rogues gallery of candidates. <laughs> A-Rod joins you, in. You, yeah. A-Rod, A-Rod was suspended. David Ortiz was on a list. I mean, so you start with those two, and if you peel off another layer or so, you may have some other people you'll raise an eyebrow to. Yeah, yeah. And and so now I I think the the come-to-Jesus moment has arrived where these writers are going to have to make a really interesting decision. I won't say hard, because if you bought into them cheating and and it's documented, then they're automatically, to me, if you look at the bylaws of what it takes to be a Hall of Famer— then these guys have broken a couple of the rules with regard to integrity and character and sportsmanship. So, you know, I think it already speaks for itself when you get suspended for cheating. You know, and so, you know, I I think that it it, it sounds like it could be difficult on the surface, but if you just kind of just do your homework and just go by the laws of of the, the Hall of Fame, it'll be an easier vote than you think and it gives people like Scott Rowland, yeah. Todd Helton, and Andrew Jones, some other guys who we think were really good when they played, uh, it gives them more of a chance to maybe get in.
3: All right, so coming up next, uh, Claibs, a conversation that I had from 2012 with Larry King, who unfortunately uh, also passed away in the last week. Um, and here's the thing. I don't know if you know this about Larry King. And I'm sure you know that he's a huge baseball fan and that he's been a lifelong uh, I, Dodgers fan and all of that, right? What, what,
5: do I have time to tell a quick story?
3: I think we got about a <clears> minute, yeah.
5: All right, this will be real quick. So I see Larry King every time we go out and play the Dodgers. And I've gotten to know him, and he always St. Louis, you know, he's, he's always got that. <laughs> so he tells me the story. He was in Brooklyn one day, and he saw uh, Brock hit a home run in the polo grounds. And uh, a, supposedly it was like 500-plus feet. Little Rock, i number. never forget. He starts going to that Larry King speech. And every time I would see him, he would just say St. Louis because he was bad with names. But he remembered St. Louis and he oh, would yeah, ask yeah. about this and that. He was a delightful person. And you're right, as passionate of a baseball fan as you'd ever see.
3: Well, when I talked to him, this is from May of 2012. Um, we talked to him about the Cardinals and Dodgers. They were playing each other at the time. And they were the big rival in the National League at the time, right? I mean, those two teams were the top dogs in the NL. And the story we're going to hear, Claves, is Larry King telling the story of being at the game in Brooklyn where Stan got the nickname The Man. <laughs> Larry King was <laughs> at that game. So well, that's what we're going to hear. He's
5: this- a season ticket holder in Brooklyn because he shot a Brock home run, too. So. Yeah.
3: Yeah, well, that's how far back he goes. And we're going to hear that story from Larry King coming up next here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day Show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. This is the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day Show presented by Amron here on the Cardinals Radio Network. Kevin Wheeler, Mike Claiborne with you here. And doing another little flashback in this segment. You know, we lost another baseball great, another Hall of Famer in Hank Aaron since our last show last week. Well, we lost another great, and and that's uh, broadcaster Larry King. Um, you know, yeah, his he lived his his world in the news business as uh, you know one of the most iconic interviewers of all time. But Larry King was also a really big baseball fan, and I mean really big. He's a lifelong Dodgers fan. He his his fandom dates back to Brooklyn, as I mentioned with Claves in the last segment, and you know back in the day. When the Cardinals and Dodgers got together, and by that I mean you know 2011, 2012, 2013, we'd reach out to Larry King to see if he wanted to talk a little baseball, and he was always very gracious. And here's a conversation that I had with him. Again, this is going back to May of 2012 with Larry King talking about his admiration for Stan the Man Musial,
11: the Dodger-Cardinal rivalry. And I've been a, I'm 78 years old, and I've been rooting for the Dodgers since. I was uh, eight years old, so I'm going to move for, I'd say, 70 years. I was at Jackie Robinson's first game. Hmm. I interviewed him twice. Uh, He was a fantastic interview and a great subject matter. And the Cardinals have always been our principal rival. One of my favorite human beings is Stan Musial. I got to know him very well. My brother, three years younger than me, just to be defiant, has been a lifelong Cardinal fan. (laughs) He he grew up in Brooklyn. He lives in Manhattan. Uh He, He lives and dies with the Cardinals that world series game that sixth game of the world series will forever be etched in his memory i think it added 20 years to his life or wow. took 20 years off <laughs> i can't it, decide which it may be
3: added because they won but when it, 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 there was a period there Larry where it felt like we were all losing our hair
11: in spring training this year my son's birthday we go to phoenix Every, I like Vero better than Phoenix, by the way. But we go to Phoenix uh, every year, and my son throws out the first pitch. He was 13, and this year they were playing Texas. So I got to sit with uh, Ron Washington, one mm-hmm. of the nicest people on the planet. And uh, he watched my son throw. And he was telling him to stay with it. Both kids are good ballplayers. Mm-hmm. So I was talking to him about whether he relives that game. And he says, once, the, once spring training started, he was okay. But the whole winter, he never, ever went like 15 minutes without thinking of that ninth inning and two strikes. How could you? you, you it's, it's envisioned in his mind.
3: Yeah. It, it is that emotional thing, Larry. That's what draws you and I to the ballpark every day. It's that emotional attachment to this.
11: I have a theory about the Cubs. Uh, one, anyone could have a bad century. <laughs> uh, two... That nobody hates the Cubs. Maybe Cardinal fans, but you cannot hate the Cubs. They're the Cubbies.
3: Mm-hmm.
11: They're Wrigley. They're the Cubs. Yeah, nobody really no, hates I mean, the hate lovable
3: em. loser, right?
11: You when he goes, "Hey, we beat the Cubs." <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, no. Even here, Larry, this is their—you know—they're the chief rival for for those of us here in St. Louis. But it's not an angry rivalry. It's more of a friendly rivalry.
11: Yeah, well, you not because you can't hate them. Yeah. You know, you can hate. You could hate the Cardinals. I mean, the Cardinals, because they get under your skin, the Cardinals. The theory about the Cardinals, those two birds on the back. <laughs> you know, they just drive me crazy. And I, I got to know Slaughter, and because uh, I know Musial, and uh, I have those teams of Marty Marion and Whitey Kurowski, and God, what ball clubs they had, the Cooper <laughs> brothers. I mean, I, I, the Cardinals, have the Stan Musial, whenever asked ask me who's the best hitter I ever saw, it's always Musial, because I only saw him at Ebbets Field.
12: Oh yeah, that's where I, he got his name.
11: Yeah, and I, I I I I saw something. You think Musio was better than Williams? What are you kidding? <laughs> There's <was> no comparison. <laughs> Musio murdered us. I decided once I gotta see Musio play bad. So I take my brother, I was uh I guess I was sixteen, he was thirteen. I take him to the Polo grounds for a Cardinal Giant double header. Musio hits five homers.
3: <laughs> <laughs> He's just doing it for you, Larry.
11: Yeah, I know. There's so I know, you know, when you look at the intricacies of baseball, you know, there's so many things about it that make it. I mean, I love all sports.
3: To me, the draw, and I'm a baseball guy first. I played in college. It's always been my first thing even though I like you, I love all the other sports. But it's it, something about the pace of the game builds suspense as things happen. So in a hockey game, a big moment just kind of explodes on you. In right. a basketball game, it just kind of explodes on you. And in baseball, there's that little dramatic build up, and I think to me that's what the draw is to the sport.
11: They Baseball mm-hmm. is, as you say, it's, uh, there's so many things. It's the only sport in the world where the defense has the ball. Mm-hmm. Think, picture being a the batter. It's, there's eight guys out there. They've all got gloves. Yeah. One of them is throwing 95 miles an hour at your head. <laughs> and there's a guy behind you with a mask and a mitt. And no one can help you. Another thing, if you're a kid and you can hit a baseball, you will be in the majors. There's no excuse That's you won't be held back. You can't say I didn't I'm a wide receiver I didn't have a good quarterback, right? You know, I got this bad break. Like you knew that this kid in Washington will be in the major.
3: Yeah, Bryce Harper,
11: absolutely. There's, there's no doubt. Strasburg will be in the major. Mm-hmm. You know, you just, there's just something about it lives in our hearts. That it's, it's it's the it's whoever invented it. It's it's just perfect. Like 90 feet Nine inches. Mm -hmm. If it were 91 feet one inch or 89 feet, it would be a totally different game.
3: Yeah, no question.
11: The game is a perfect game. The only thing I I don't like is one league having DH and one league not. My final note is a a humorous one. One of the umps, I went down to the umpires' room when Strasbourg pitched an earlier game this year, Mm -hmm. a batter took the first pitch. Turn to the umpires. I don't know about you, that sounded like a ball. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime, great. Kevin. And again, that
3: is uh, my conversation with Larry King back in May in 2012. And boy, has the baseball world changed a lot uh, since 2012. All right, we're going to get back to um the some of the great virtual experiences from the winter warm-up next we're going to do the good as gold segment that's Jim Edmonds Ozzie Smith Paul Goldschmidt Tyler O'Neill talking about gold glove defense get to that coming up in a couple of minutes right now I want to remind you that you can gear up for the season with a subscription for Cardinals Magazine your premier source for Cardinals coverage in season and out you can sign up at cardinals.com magazine or you can call 314-345-9000 next up Good as gold here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day Show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. This is the
2: Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day Show presented by Amron on Gangnam OX.
3: We're rolling along on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day Show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. And once again, flashing back to the winter warmup. There was just so many great conversations and so many great stories from the virtual winter warmup want to make sure we get to as many of them as we can and uh, this is going to be part one of one of my favorites from the winter warm-up. It's the good as gold virtual experience. It features Jim Edmonds as the moderator and of course he's talking gold glove defense with Ozzie Smith, Paul Goldschmidt and Tyler O'Neill.
12: Tyler O'Neill, congratulations. I know what it was like when I won my first one guys I'm sure you remember but uh, how was it? I mean that's this is a pretty special thing. It's there's a lot of awards out there to win, but this one, I think, other than the uh, Silver Slugger, might be the toughest one, especially the way they have it done nowadays.
9: Yeah, thanks, Jim. Um, means a lot. It really meant a lot to me. I really dedicated myself this year to working hard and and just getting back to the basics and the fundamentals, slowing things down. I was able to incorporate that in the outfield this year. So, uh, you know, I'm just trying my all out there every time, and uh, I'm a go-getter. So, you know, I'm not going to let my work ethic go to waste, and um, you know, I'm just going to keep getting better from here.
12: Yeah, it's something that I, I believe I've read some things about you and obviously know you pretty well. It's um, no question that you were originally drafted as obviously a big bat, home run hitter. Uh, and There's been some adjustments, I'm sure, for you to really turn it up in the outfield, and, um, and I guess at the big league level is a tough place to learn, but at least you have the coaching and all the knowledge. Has it gotten a little bit easier each year now that you know a little bit about the league?
9: Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I was drafted by Seattle a while ago and traded over here in, uh, in 17. So um, there's one, something about Cardinal baseball. You know, they really pride themselves on the defensive side of the ball and just playing playing the right way. So um, it starts with the work ethic and it just it's just going up and down through the ladders. You know, it's, it's just it's uh, through every level. And uh, you can tell why we're such a prestigious organization and uh, at this at this part of the game.
12: Yeah, and Pauly Goldsmith, welcome. Uh, three gold gloves, and like I said, probably one of the harder awards to win other than the Silver Slugger, which you have four of those. Um, we actually had a conversation in spring, and I, I thought this this actually kind of caught me off guard, and it made a lot of sense. Pauly, you said at one time we were standing at first base, and you said, you know what, there's no one out here to teach you how to play first base.
13: And it's true. I mean, most of the infield coaches are, are middle infielders and they might have played a little bit of first base, but even in the minor leagues, there's not, you know, many first basemen who are the infield coordinator or who are out there working with you on a daily basis. So it honestly kind of started in college. That's when I shifted from third base to first base and just somehow trying to learn the position and, I mean, and our head coach was a former shortstop, great infield coach, but there's just little things that you don't know. And you kind of just figure out along the way experience is a big deal. And I think, you know, then getting in pro ball, my first big league camp, even though I didn't make the team, I had no shot to make the team, but getting to watch the other first baseman, the veteran guys and little uh, tips they gave me. And then once I get called up, you know, we had a couple other veterans. Um, my first few years, our first baseman, they just shared some great wisdom and, um, without them, I definitely, uh, don't win any gold gloves.
12: Yeah. It seemed to be the thing that you talked about was, um, you doing the same for other people because that was basically the only way you learned. I thought that was impressive because you're right. Uh, I don't think people understand that. And we'll talk to Ozzie in one second, but what you said was most of the infielder infield coaches, uh, first of all, the outfield coaches, I don't really think there is very ever uh, or ever an outfield coach. They're always base running coaches that they have fly balls to us. But, uh, very rarely do you have anyone that can help you other than another veteran or a guy that's really you're either your peer or your competition
13: yeah I was spoiled when I got called up we had a very veteran team in Arizona um you know Xavier Nady I kind of came up as the rookie and um kind of took playing time away from him but he was there every day with me and then it turned into be Lyle Overbay and then eventually Eric Kinski those were all first basemen and um, Every day they were out there taking ground balls with me, helping me during BP, you know, teaching me how to watch video as a hitter. And, I mean, we had so many other veteran guys, um, Aaron Hill, Willie Bloomquist, John McDonald, other infielders that just really took me under their wing. And, um, man, like I said, without them, I probably wouldn't even, you know, still be a big leaguer.
12: Ozzie, you got a few gold gloves, and you played with a pretty good first baseman yourself. How much – besides you i'm going to keep paul under the mic a little bit how great is it as a shortstop especially your caliber to have a guy like paul play first base when you know you just have to get it over there you had i believe keith hernandez for a while and i know he's considered to be one of the best first basements of all time explain just the mindset i mean i don't even think it really is a mindset, but then after you let the ball go, your mindset of knowing, oh, he's going to catch it, or wow, I can't believe he made that play.
14: Well, you know, and listening to, to uh, Paul there, you know, I, I think that to become a good first, a good athlete, you're a good athlete to start with. I mean, I think his instincts were such that he could um, he could listen to those people and and understand what it was that they were saying. You know, he has great hands. He has great baseball instincts, and I think that's what's made him um, a good first baseman. You know, anytime that as an infielder, you, you don't have to worry about how he's going to move over there. If you if you make a bad throw, it's it's all it becomes very instinctual. And I think that uh, the thing that with these two guys, uh, uh, Paul and And uh, and Tyler both have good instincts to start with, you know, so if you have good instincts, then it it shouldn't be that hard if you have good work ethic. And I think both of them do. And it's the reason that they both are are winning gold gloves, because it's the time that you put in and and nothing comes without some blood, some sweat and some tears, Jim, as you know. And when you get out there, you want to be in a in that uh, subconscious state of mind. You know, you want to work out so much before the game, that when the game starts, that's the easy part. The hard part is the work that you put in before. So, uh, you know, and watching uh, watching these guys at the time that they put in, I think has, is really what has paid off for them. And, and I, I, I would guess that if you ask them both now, does it make it a little bit easier when you work hard before the game, does it make it a little bit easier when the game starts? And, it, and for me, and I'm sure for you too, Jim – you know, when you when you're operating in your subconscious mind, it's just going out there and just reacting. And for me, it was just reacting and, and getting getting to the ball, getting it over there as quickly as I possibly could, not having to worry about whether or not that guy over there had the ability. You know, there were some lean years where I had short guys over there where you had to worry about, uh, <laughs> you know, throwing the ball too high. I had Greg Jeffries over there one year. You know, Uh-oh. so that made it a little bit that made it a little bit tougher. You know, because you had to be a little bit more accurate with your throws. And sometimes when you have great players over there, you get very spoiled at, uh, at your throws. But, uh, you know, for the most part, it's just being able to, to, to know that when I got a guy over there who can pick it, who knows when to come off the bag, uh, it just makes the game so much easier.
3: All right, that's part one of the Good as Gold virtual experience from the winter warm up. We'll have part two coming your way in just a couple of minutes. Now I want to remind you for the best baseball content and hot stove updates this offseason, follow at MLB on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Part two of Good as Gold coming up next on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. The Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on KMOX. Back in on the Cardinals countdown to opening day show presented by Amarin here on the Cardinals radio network. Mike Claiborne, Kevin Wheeler with you here and time now for part two of good as gold. Of course, this was a a great part of the uh, winter warm up virtual experiences. Here's Jim Edmonds, Ozzie Smith, Paul Goldschmidt, and Tyler O'Neill.
12: I'm going to start back with you, Ozzie. At what point did you think, or did you ever think that a gold glove was even possible? And, so I, I believe you won it in your second year, right? Second year. Yes, yeah, second year, and so, you won 13 in a row. In
14: 1978 was my rookie year, and I finished second in the voting to Bob Horner, who came in uh, from straight from Arizona State, and uh, he had a lot of home runs um, at, when he came up. I think he had 25 or 30 home runs when he came up, and uh, he ended up winning the, uh, the the rookie of the year. but. You know, I knew that coming into the into the game that one of the things that I wanted to do was win myself a gold glove at some point in time and, and hopefully win a silver slugger, which I was able to accomplish. And, and here again, it just goes back to the, the work ethic and working hard and, and doing all of the things that it takes to make yourself a great player. You know, I I didn't know any different. You know, I just knew that I had a knack for the ball. I, had, I, I wasn't afraid of the process. And when I say the process, I mean... The practice. I love practice, and uh, it was the practice that eventually got me to a point to where, um, you know, that that I I ultimately gotten to, got to as a as a player, and uh, that's what made me the player that I was.
12: This is an interesting panel. I was kind of looking at some stats, and Ozzy, I think after your second year, but I believe Tyler and um, Paul, both of you guys in your third year, won go gloves. Paul, uh, let me ask you. When you first came up, was that even on your radar? Uh, being a first baseman, I think it's different, especially being. And you said you were a third baseman kind of growing up. But is that something you even thought about, something you could even fathom? And then once you did go and win one, what was your thought process?
13: Uh, I mean, when I got called up, I was just trying not to mess up over there, <laughs> not to, you know, mess up where the shortstop's mad at me. And honestly, I remember my first – you know, play on defense in the big leagues. And I, I jumped up off the bag and caught a ball and came down and got the runner and the shortstop came and, you know, gave me a high five. I was like, Oh man, that, that was huge. That was almost bigger than getting my first hit. <laughs> uh, so it was just about, you know, trying to, you know, help our team win. It was never win and go. I think that was so far off in my mind. There's so many great players. I was so young and there's these guys that are established. You've been watching on TV and it's like, all right, just try to do your job and, um, you know, it just kind of happened that year. I, I mean, I, I played well in the big leagues, and then it was like by the time when I won that first one, I just kind of had that breakout year where I played really good defensively, hit the ball really well, was able to, you know, go to the All-Star game that year too. So it was just kind of, it all kind of came together. And then after you win one, then you're like, all right, I want to, not necessarily that you have to win the Gold Glove, but you want to be that elite defender every year. And so I think that's just, that's kind of the mindset. Is I just want to be, you know, the best I can be.
12: Yeah, that's kind of the running joke back when I played was you hit 30 home runs, you win a gold glove. Now you're expected to do it. And now the game gets harder because now you're not surprising anyone. You're expected to be that good. And that actually dr- drove me a little bit like each off season was, yeah, I got to do this again. And that's the tough part, I think. And Tyler, for you, I believe that obviously you were coming up. You're a big guy, strong guy. Obviously, your family background, lifting weights and all that. Um, what did you think? I I mean, I think this is a great honor. I think where you've been and what you've been through and we've been in the locker room together and meetings and all the things that you go through trying to get better each day, learning how to throw the ball to the right base at times you have a strong arm, you can run. Did you have any idea that this is possible when you got to the big leagues and were you surprised this year? And or were you one of those guys that goes, hey, I'm going to win this because of I know what I'm capable of, even though I'm a little bit bigger, stronger, and everyone thinks I'm a home run hitter?
9: For sure, yeah. Uh, getting drafted and getting through the minor leagues, it was pretty much my bat that, that got me through the rings there. You know, it was always a question on my glove side, so I really wanted to dedicate myself to to being better out there. You know, I was drafted, uh, or excuse me, before I was drafted, I was strictly a catcher, third base. I never played the outfield until I got to pro ball. So they kind of just threw me out there and told me to get my reps. And uh, as the years progressed, uh, I was getting better and better out there. Just like Ozzy said, just goes with practice. And uh, I just started to dedicate myself more and more and just keep getting better. And, um, you know, I know that I'm fast out there. I know that I got a pretty accurate arm as well. So anything's possible on that end. Uh, I just try to do my best and hit all the right bases and catch all the balls that I could.
12: Yeah, I think it's it's awesome, to be honest with you, watching over the years, being in the locker room with you, being in meetings. And I I think the thing still, to me, blows me away every day is when I watch and I do games, people don't realize how fast you are. Like, you're in the top 10, if not the top six, I think, pretty close to it, in sprint speed, and people don't look at you in that, and I think that's what's even better than all the stereotypical stuff that comes along with being a bigger guy, a shorter guy, stocky guy, is you're not only athletic, you can hit, you can run, and that gives you such an advantage to being in the outfield, especially in our outfield, it's so big. Yeah, definitely.
9: Yeah. Um... You know, I always knew I was a quick kid, and uh, it's just good to be able to to actually utilize those wheels um, in somewhere somewhere else other than legging out infield hits. Um, you know, just just gonna keep progressing, trying to get better, um, be a better base runner out there. Just keep utilizing in both sides of the ball.
12: Yeah, Ozzy, as a kid, is that just natural for you coming up? I know for me, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. I played center field at times. I got I got to the minor leagues, and I was pushed into right field and left field because I wasn't really fast, but I know how athletic you are and I just have watched you play and the highlights speak for themselves. Is that just something that was just you were born with and then you always were good all the way through the minor leagues, uh, little league, minor leagues, high school, everything. Was this the Aussie Smith that everyone knew and loved as a kid as just the same guy in the big leagues?
14: Yeah, you know, Jim, and, and and I watch the same thing with you. You know how you know how instinctual it is, and you know when you go out there and you you play center field, you don't want to have a whole lot of things on on your mind. You just want to be able to react to the ball, and and reacting to the ball uh, starts with, you know, how you prepare yourself. And so for me, it was one of those things that I was born with, but I always worried about losing it. And, and worrying about losing it made me work harder every day, knowing that today might be the last day. So if it is, I want to make sure that I gave everything that I had so that I could I would never leave this game wondering whether or not I gave my my all every day. You know it was it was important to me to make sure that when I left the field every day asking myself, did I do the very best that I could do that day? And for 19 years, that answer was yes.
12: Yeah, Paul, something hit home for for me is my first play in the big leagues uh, was a fly ball left field, and I threw the guy out at the plate. Uh, Besides the fact, my first game at first base, I'm about 40, 50 games into my rookie year. My manager says, hey, do you have a first baseman's glove? And I said, no. He said, can you get one? I said, sure. Mm -hmm. So I get one the next day from Rawlings. And I go in after the game. I sit in my locker. I walk in the manager's office. I said, hey, I got my first baseman's glove. Brand new out of the box. He says, good, you're playing first base tomorrow. <laughs> I, are you kidding? He's like, you better break that glove in fast. But then he says to me, oh, by the way, you got Finley and Langston pitching the next two days. Whatever you do, don't go to the mound. So that was my introduction <laughs> to playing first base. I thought that was pretty special. And I'm sure going to the mound isn't always the most fun part of playing first.
13: No, you know, it's you get a little bit more comfortable, you know, as you get older and you get to know the guys. But it was definitely, you know, the first few years, you know, I wasn't doing anything. I was standing out there at first base, and I barely even talked in the dugout or locker room, just kind of tried to do my job, kind of earn your way and, and stay out of the way. And, um, you know, I just tried to follow the lead that everyone else had.
3: Man, great conversations there with uh, Ozzie and Jim Edmonds and Paul Goldschmidt and Tyler O'Neill. Good way to kind of, uh, I think, keep things rolling as we get closer to spring training here on the Countdown to Opening Day show. Uh, I do want to remind you that uh, the Cardinals Kids Club, presented by Rawlings, is the exclusive fan club for kids 13 and under. So membership includes access to virtual events, uh, and those virtual events are exclusive to members of the Cardinals Kid Club and it'll also include a fleece blanket, a wall sign, and all that for just 33 bucks. You can join at cardinals.com slash kids club. All right, coming up next, we're going to wrap up the show for this week and give away another 2021 Cardinals calendar. That's next up here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. <music> Wrapping up another great show here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. Great to hear the voices of Hank Aaron and Larry King. Uh, great to hear from all of the Cardinals outfielders, along with John Rooney, and, of course, the Gold Glove winners, uh, Ozzie, Goldie, Tyler O'Neill. Uh, of course, Jim Edmonds, the moderator. There doesn't get any better than that, right? Jim Edmonds moderating a conversation about Gold Glove defense. Right now, to wrap it up, it's time to give away another 2021 Cardinals calendar. Uh, and if you're the first caller at 314-531-1120, you'll pick up the Cardinals calendar for free. Now, the 2021 Cardinals calendar celebrates 12 epic moments in Cardinals history and gets you ready for baseball with spring training and regular season schedules all there in one place. You can pick yours up at Area Grocers and Retailers or by calling 314-345-9000. And like I said, if you're the first caller at 314-531-1120, you'll get a copy of that for free. All right, many thanks to all of our, our uh Great voices today. I mean, it was, again, awesome hearing from Hank Aaron and Larry King and from all of the Cardinals' current outfielders with John Rooney, and great to hear the Gold Glovers as well getting that much closer to spring training. By the time we get here next week, we'll be two weeks out from the scheduled start of spring training. Man, it's, it's getting here fast, and hopefully it gets here as expected. We'll talk to you next week here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network.